Praise the Lord. Amen. So good to be in the house of God today. Let's all stand. I'm excited to see what God has in store for us this morning. Amen. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. When God is present, all things are possible. Not because any one of us are here, but because the Lord Jesus Christ is here. We can expect anything to happen. It's really up to us what we end up receiving today. What are you expecting of God? What are you expecting to happen? If you're sitting here in doubt, waiting to be moved, I would expect precious little. Uh, But if you're expecting awesome things, if you're coming in faith believing, then I would say that you can expect great things. And that's really all it is. That's all it is. The Lord is standing by ready to minister to your need. He loves you. He wants the very best for you. Amen. So let's enter into our services today with expectation. Let's let our faith soar, and let's look to God, who can do all things. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. You're a wondrous, glorious Savior, and we heap unto you all honor, all worship, all praise today. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would release faith into this assembly today to believe you for all things, to look to the Lord our God with expectancy. Hallelujah, Jesus. We cannot imagine the good things that you have in store for us today. The great plans, the great futures that you have waiting for us. We can't imagine it. But our Lord God, with you, it is not only possible, but it will happen. Thank you, Jesus, for the manifestation of your presence here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome opportunity to enter into your presence to receive of you your good things, to wait upon you today with our worship and with our praise and with our giving of thanks, to minister unto the Lord our God today because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Hallelujah, Jesus. We love you. You are so wonderful. You are so awesome. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for all that you have in store for us today. Thank you for the ministration of your spirit here today. We give you glory. We give you honor. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are a wondrous, glorious Savior. We lift up your mighty, wondrous, glorious name today. I pray, God, that your name would be glorified in our midst here in our services today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you this morning. Thank you for standing and entertaining His presence. You can be seated. Before we start today, I want to... I want to preface the message, and I do this of permission, not of commandment. Um, 
I don't like, generally, uh, reusing old messages, okay? Uh, I'm going to do that today. I, f- I felt like that's something that the Lord led me to do. I don't generally like doing that. I like a fresh word from the Lord. When someone comes over to my house, I don't serve them leftovers. I, I want to prepare a fresh meal. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm at on that. But uh, the Lord is showing me that, that messages are they're not all inclusive. They're, they're more of a, maybe a foundation upon which God can build something that the congregation or, or those present need for that service. Uh, and I, I might add that, that my preparation in the message is just one aspect of this. Uh, there is also your preparation for the message, uh, for the service. And all of these things mixed together, certainly the, the preacher does have a, a responsibility to hear from the Lord and to receive a word from Him uh, and prepare to, to deliver that word. But there's also the aspect of, of the atmosphere that's, that's been created here that mixes with that. The faith of those present, the expectation of those present mixes with that. The Spirit of God, uh, the needs that are represented, all of that mixes together and creates an awesome message. And so I guess in that, we all have a responsibility, don't we? In every service, I'm not denigrating or or shunting any responsibility that I have. But this is just one aspect of it. (laughs) I also confess that I typically make notes of where I've delivered a message, and this particular message, I found none. I'm assuming that I've preached this here before, but I can't find any evidence of it. Uh, So, uh, if it sounds familiar, that's why. But, I do want to say that uh, this is where the Lord led me, and I'm trusting that He is going to do something different. Something that meets the needs of our congregation today. Amen. With that said, uh, Exodus chapter 13 and verse, verses 17 and 18 is where we will find our scripture text today. Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. The Bible says this, And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had led the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Amen. So we see here that there were a couple different options that the Lord could have had them go. Uh, They didn't go the quick way. They didn't go the direct way. They went a very circuitous way. They went a very... Uh, convoluted and, and twisty and long way. It made no sense. <clears throat> there is a poem 
by Robert Frost. I know I've read this before, but it's it fits the message so perfectly. I'd like to read that now, and this is where I've taken the, the title from. The poem goes like this. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that passing there, had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Amen. So we find ourselves from time to time in our walks with God, certainly in the natural life, but definitely in our walk with God at an intersection. We find ourselves with a choice. We can go one way or another way. And in those times, it behooves us to seek the will of God. It behooves us to seek the face of God and receive direction. One of those roads... And only one of those roads is going to be the correct one to take. The one that leads us further down the the will of God. The one that leads us closer to the plan of God. The other one, as good as it looks, as easy as it might look, as profitable as it may seem, is the wrong way. It's going to lead us away from God. It's going to lead us farther away from His plan for our lives. And the farther down those roads we go, the harder it becomes to go back and choose the correct one. I think of people in uh, choosing a career for themselves. That's a pretty important choice to make when you're a young person uh, coming out of high school. You kind of start thinking, now what? Now what do I do? When I was at that point, I hadn't given it a lot of thought, so I thought the military sounded like a good option at the time. I needed out of my parents' house, and well, that just seemed like the best option. So for better or for worse, that's what I did. But I think if I'd have given it some thought earlier, I'd have probably chose something, something different. That career path, as a young person, is pretty easy to course correct. It's pretty easy to, a year or two into school, I I don't think this is going to work for me. Let's choose something else. Let's choose a different major. A couple years into a job, when I'm 18, 19, I don't don't think this is going to work for me. Let's find something else. It's pretty easy to do it at that point. But when you're 30... 40, 50 years old, it gets harder and harder and harder to start over, to start doing something different. Because you're farther down that road now. If you've been at a factory for 20 or 30 years, you're making pretty good money, even though you might hate the job. 
even though you might be thinking more and more, man, I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have become a painter. I wish I'd have become a writer. I wish I'd have become something else, whatever it may be. Well, you still have the option to go back and do that. However, at this point, you're giving up an awful lot to go back and start over. It's the same way of living for God. At most times in our walk with God, we're on a relatively known path. We're on a path, and it's, it's fairly easy. It's fairly comfortable. It's something we know. It's something we're comfortable with. Now imagine if we were trapped in the wilderness, far away from everything you know, far removed from the comfortable, from the normal. You don't know where you're at. You don't know which direction is north. You don't know which direction is home. You're lost. You have no idea where you're at. You have no idea how to get back to anywhere comfortable, anywhere known. So you just start stumbling around. You pick a direction and go. Hopefully you're moving in a straight line, but statistically you're probably not. You're probably making a great big circle. But now let's say you've been stumbling around for a while and you come on a, a trail. You come on a path. You don't know what the path is. You've never seen this path before. But it gives you hope, doesn't it? This path leads somewhere. It leads somewhere. Uh, one, of these, one of these directions is going to get me back to something. Something I'm familiar with. Something I know. It's so much easier to travel on this trail than it was to try to push your way through the underbrush in the wilderness. This trail is going to take me back to safety, back to what I know, back to where I'm comfortable. Now, in our scripture text, there were two ways Israel could have, there are probably more ways that Israel could have gone, but two ways presented here. One is the quick and easy way. It would have been about 35 miles or about three days' journey from Goshen to Canaan over the coastal road known as the Via Maris. 35 miles, three days' journey. How long did it end up taking Israel to get to the Promised Land? A little more than three days. A little bit longer. The long, arduous way was about 305 miles, or 24 days from Goshen to the Red Sea. Then they spent eight days waiting for Pharaoh's armies to come, Then another 161 and a half or so miles, or 20 days across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, including seven days camping in the wilderness of Sin, and another two days fighting the Amalekites at Rephidim. But this is the way God chose to take them. He took them that way for several reasons. Their spirits were broken by hard bondage. They would need to move from being slaves of Egypt to the children of God. In their minds, they were slaves. That's, what, that's who they identified with. That's what they were, slaves. Their actions showed it. The way they thought and spoke showed it. 
They were slaves. God needed to change that. They needed to start identifying themselves as the people of God. And unfortunately, there are no shortcuts for this. It's a long and arduous process. Israel would come to this realization by degrees and over a period of time. We see their identification with Egypt and as slaves because at the first sign of difficulty, what was their response? Let's go back to Egypt. I miss the leeks and the onions and the garlic. I'm comfortable there. That's what I know. That's all I've ever known is being a slave. That's who they identified with. Every time something hard came their way, they wanted to run back to Egypt. They had favor with the Egyptians when they left. Do you remember that? They like me there. When I go back, it's just going to be the same. As new converts, we often return to our old lives at the first sign of difficulty. We saw that in the Apostle Peter. What was his response after the death of Jesus? I go a-fishing. That's what I know. That's what I'm comfortable with. Nothing else going on. Go back to what I know. But we need to keep moving forward. It's dangerous for us to linger at the borders of our old lives. If Egypt is too near, return becomes too convenient. And that's exactly what we end up doing at the first sign of difficulty. We leave what we have at present for what we know, what we're comfortable with. The Israelites were not trained in war. They were not ready to face the Philistines. That's where the Via Maris led through, right through the heart of Philistine territory. The Philistines were a serious threat at this point. They were harassing the armies of Egypt. They thought of themselves as strong enough to beat Egypt, at least under the correct circumstances. And God did not want them facing off against so fierce a nation at this formative time. They were still, again, in their minds, slaves. They had no knowledge of war, no knowledge of fighting. What they were comfortable with was forced submission. God would train them by degrees and over a period of time. God executed judgment on the armies of Egypt. God did that. He was showing His people something. Demonstrating to Israel that God would fight their battles for, for them. Demonstrating that there's nothing left for them in Egypt. And demonstrating that the only way left for them now is to follow God forward. It is a fascinating leadership tactic. Burn the boats. 
think it was Cortez, wasn't it? When he came to the, the new land, he burned his boats so that his men wouldn't be thinking that there's another option except to move forward. They didn't like it much, but now there's only one way to go. Now we've got to move forward. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2 says this, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. The wilderness served to mature Israel and taught them to rely on God. The wilderness would cause them to differentiate between the hardness and failings of the world and the joy and peace of serving God. The wilderness would burn away their impurities and cause them to reflect their God. At this point, they were following God because they didn't know what else to do. They followed God maybe out of fear. Uh, they saw what God did to the, the Egyptians. They celebrated their victory at the Red Sea. But as soon as they ran out of water, as soon as they got a little hungry, they started murmuring and complaining. In our own lives, certainly as new converts, but even today, when God presents us with a choice, when God presents us, brings us to a crossroads, brings us to an intersection, and we're presented with a choice, an option, and He's going to do that. He is going to do that, and He's going to keep doing that. He's going to keep giving you the chance to tell Him no. He's going to keep giving you the chance to say, I'd rather do something else now. He's going to give you that choice. He's going to give you that option. Wanting. Wanting you to tell Him yes again. Wanting you to say, I want to keep going in you. After most of Jesus' disciples left, Jesus' response to the twelve was interesting. He didn't say, oh, I'm glad you didn't leave. Because they hadn't yet. He asked them, are you going to leave too? And they said, no. We don't have another choice here. We've already made up our minds. Where else can we go? So coming to that place in our lives where there is no other choice, there is no other option, that's where God is leading us. That's where God wants us to be. After the impurities are burned away, after all of the other choices and options are gone, There's only one choice remaining, and that's serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to the Lord, we have a slave mentality. We're in bondage. We were just freed. 
That's all we've known. All we've known is whatever we were addicted to, whatever bondage we were living in at the time. That's what's comfortable for us. That's what we knew. And at that time, it's very easy to go back. We still have friends in the world that we used to party with, that we enjoyed time with, that we drank with, that we did whatever with. And that's why it's so important for us as new converts to move as far away from that as possible, as quickly as possible. Not from our friends per se, we still want to influence them for Jesus Christ, but from that lifestyle. When we repent of our sins, we're turning away from all of that. And it's so important for us to do that, because if we stay there, it's so easy to go back. Because that's what's comfortable. That's what we know. In Matthew chapter 7, we see two, two choices presented to all of mankind. Verses 13 and 14 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Okay, it's God's method to accomplish divine ends by circuitous means. In the natural, God wants us to eat. He wants us to to receive nourishment. He doesn't want us to starve to death. But He doesn't prepare a table for us. We have to do that. If we want to eat bread... God's not, He can, but He's not necessarily going to just poof, put a loaf of bread in front of me. At the most extreme, I'm going to go buy seed. I'm going to prepare soil. I'm going to plant the seed. I'm going to water it. I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to weed it. And then I'm going to wait. And then I'm going to wait. And then I'm going to wait some more until it grows. And then I'm going to harvest it. And then I'm going to grind the seed up and add some stuff and make bread dough. And then I'm going to bake it. And then I have my bread. So God gives me the raw ingredients. But I have to do something with them. God would have us inhabit the earth. But we're the ones that have to build habitations. It reminds me of a story that I I heard a while ago. This man and his family moved into an area. This is in the Wild West. Moved into an area, found a, a good fertile piece of ground. But the ground itself was rocky and there was there was scrub all over the place and there were trees there. Uh but it was good. The soil was fertile. So he decides, I've traveled far enough. My family's traveled far enough. We're going to stop here. So he stops there. He cuts some trees down. He builds himself a home. After that, he builds outbuildings, some fencing for his cattle, for horses. He starts cutting trees down. He starts pulling stumps. He starts clearing off the brush. And then he gets to work and he picks all the rocks out of the soil. 
Has anybody ever got a wonderful harvest of rocks? Anyone ever do that? I've done that. It's a hilarious. It's in Minnesota. I used to work for a farmer. Every year we'd get a fresh crop of rocks. Every year the the ground would freeze and it'd push all that stuff right back up to the surface. We'd have to pick it every year. It's beautiful. So this farmer, he clears all the rocks off. And then he tills the soil and he, he puts a crop in the ground. And year after year, he's, he's improving the properties. And after several years, it looks beautiful. And a, a new family comes in and they have him over for dinner. And, and he's got the, the property looking fantastic. You know, it's got flower beds planted and, and landscaping done. And everything is just meticulous. And... The new guy is looking around. He's like, wow, you are blessed. Look at what God gave you. And he kind of chuckled and said, yeah, well, you should have seen it when he still had it. (laughs) The point is, he gives us the raw materials. We're expected to do something with them. God gives us talents, gifts, callings, but He requires us to develop them and use them. And a lot of times, those talents and gifts and callings are going to be developed through endurance, through trial, through test, intense training. God's path is not always the near path. But it's always the best path. And I know I've said this before. When I was new in church, I thought Jesus was going to come back next week. And I'm just getting involved with this. So I, I gotta ramp up here fast. I gotta get I gotta get up to speed and I gotta get doing something. Because he's coming back any day now. And so I was stressed out and I was I was productive. I mean, I was memorizing scripture. I was I was studying. I was at the prayer room. I was I was growing just as fast as I could, fasting as much as I could. But after a period of time, I started to realize something. This path that I had chosen. This Uh, this course for my life, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, moving closer to Him, becoming more like Him, trying to discern and accomplish His will, that path that I had chosen, I'm going to be on this for the rest of my life. I'm never going to attain, I'm never going to arrive at a state of Christ-likeness. I'm never going to get to the place in this life where I stop learning. I've learned all there is to know now. I'm as close to Jesus as I'm going to get. I'm never going to get to that place. There's always something to improve on. There's always areas for growth. And so I realize now that I'm the one that was concerned about the time frame. God's not. God knows when everything is going to transpire. He knows that already. My stress came because I didn't know. I still don't know. 
But God does. He's not concerned about the time frame. I came in when I came in. I don't, I, I've tried to think. Were, was I given other opportunities before I actually said yes to God? I don't remember. Maybe. But I came in at, the, at that time, for better or for worse. That's when I came in. And, and God knew when I would come in. And God knew what he had in store for me, what, what ministry he, he was going to call me to. And so, in that situation, I am the one that's stressed out about time. God's not. What God is concerned about is the process. The process while heading to the destination. What's going on there? Am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I becoming more like Him? If I am, I'm, I'm, I'm heading the right direction. I'm heading the right direction. And so, God is not stressed out about the destination. He's not stressed out about the path that we're on, the timetable that we're, that we're looking at. The only thing God's worried about is the process. And we need to trust in God that His purposes will be accomplished in us in time. God's not going to be too late. Now, can we frustrate that? You bet we can. We can tell God no. We can take a different path. And I can't stand up here and say I've gotten it right every time. I don't believe that I have. But God even, He takes care of that too. He fixes my dumb mistakes. I do my best to discern the will of God. I, I do my best to hear His voice. I think it's... I take that pretty seriously. I want to hear His voice. I, I don't... When I'm getting up here preaching a message, when, I, when I'm ministering to someone, when I'm just praying, seeking direction for my own life. I don't want that to be me. I, I did me. I know where that leads. I don't want me anymore. I want God. I want Him to be in charge. I want Him to tell me what's going on and where to go. Because that's when things work out. Even when it's a long, arduous path. In all things, God has the preeminence. He chooses the path that we take. He tells us when to make camp and when to move forward. He tells us when it's time to finally cross over the River Jordan. He gets to tell us that. When we're moving forward in Him... And we're, we're learning these things. We're, we're growing. We're, we're maturing. And God presents us with a, an opportunity. God presents us with a choice. We have to be able to discern the correct choice. We have to be able to discern the right path. Sometimes it's really easy. Sometimes it's not so obvious.
But if it's in our heart to move forward in Him, if it's in our heart to say yes to Him, to submit ourselves to Him, He'll tell us which way to go. He'll tell us which way is right. As a new convert, things looked so wonderful. Things looked so fresh and new and and exciting. Unfortunately, for most of us, that kind of burns off after a while. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. It doesn't ever have to. The Lord can always stay fresh. He can always stay exciting. He can always be brand new every morning. What causes that, in my mind, what causes that is disillusionment. The idea that things are going to be great now. And then life keeps happening. I'm serving God with my life. I'm paying my tithes and offerings, but I still have financial difficulty from time to time. I still have things break down just all of a sudden. You still have plumbing issues, heating and air conditioning problems, even though I'm paying my tithes and offerings. <clears throat> and that, that can... That can cause us to doubt and wonder a little bit. And then on the other end of the spectrum, when we start seeing people we know aren't living for God, and they seem to be blessed, and they seem to be happy, and they seem to have all of these friends, and it can get a little discouraging. It can get a little disillusioning. Disillusion? We can get disillusioned. <laughs> <clears throat> the word for the week. And then things stop being fresh, and they stop being new, and they stop being exciting, and we start moving our eyes from off of that, off of God, off of what He's doing in my life, and we start looking at everything that's wrong. And then, if we're not careful, we start looking back. Well, I was at least as good before I started serving God. I had more friends. I was happier. I've thought that once or twice. I'll be honest with you. But as David said, then understood I their end. We have to understand something. As Christians, this isn't all there is to life. It's not it. There is an eternity after this. And He's going to make everything right. Whatever difficulties we face in this life, and there are difficulties in this life, some of it is just because we're dumb and we make dumb choices. Okay? Can we be honest with ourselves? Every once in a while, that's why we're having a tough time. But sometimes we're there because of the will of God. God is trying to teach us something. He's trying to put something into us. He's trying to remove something that needs to be removed. 
to make us more like Him, better able to serve. So whatever reason we're in that spot, we have to understand, God is there with us, and this isn't the end of the story. Everything going on in the world, all of the craziness, all of the unfairness, it just doesn't really matter. Because it's going to be made right at the end. God is going to make everything right. If not in this life, then in the next. And we can enjoy everything that we want to out there. We have that ability. We can choose to do that. But at what cost? Best case scenario. Best case example. I'm a multi-billionaire. I have as many friends as I can afford. And they're never going to betray me because I'll cut the purse strings. I can have any wife I want. I can have anything I want. And let's say that that's enough. That I am truly happy. I'm truly content. I'm loving life. And then I die. What then? What happens then? Because this isn't the end of the story, folks. The quick and easy path leads to destruction. The long, arduous path leads to life. It leads to life. Isaiah 42 and 16 says this, I will bring the blind by a way which they knew not, that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. He's going to bring us places that we haven't been before. He's going to do things through us we haven't seen before. And we've got to start expecting that. Expect that God's going to lead you in a direction into places that you haven't been before. And that's okay. That's probably where God created you to be. The, the people we are today are not the people we're going to be. We are still learning, we're still growing, we're still maturing in Christ. I don't care if you've been living for Him for five months or, or 500 years. You'll still grow. You'll still mature. You still haven't arrived yet. When God calls you to Himself, He places a calling and a burden in you. And He's going to spend the time and the resources necessary to get you ready to fulfill that calling. Whatever it takes. That's the reason He created you. That's the purpose He wants each of us to fulfill. And He'll take us by whatever way necessary to get us there. He loves us that much. He will take us through difficult situations. He will take us through hard times. To test us and to prove us and to try us and to get us ready for what He is wanting to do.
I've read this before also. I like what it says. I've tried to find who wrote this. I can't. So I'll credit this to Anonymous. It says this. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects, whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying. And he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Amen. The point being this. If it is in your heart to serve God, to truly live for God, the way the Bible teaches us, not just profess Christianity as as your religion so you can fill it out on the hospital form, but truly live it out in your lives with every choice that you make, with every decision, every path that you're presented, If you're going to be that kind of a Christian, then God is going to send you through hard times. God is going to send you the long and arduous way. And we've got to say yes to that. We've got to be prepared to tell him yes so that we are properly prepared, so that we are equipped, so that we are the people that God needs us to be. can't get that message out of my my head uh, from the the missionary on Wednesday. Uh, That we need to lay ourselves on an altar of sacrifice. God is a consuming fire. That's not a fun process, folks. That's not something one would probably willingly choose. Again, Why did Jesus choose the cross? Why did he submit himself to the plan of God? Because the cross looked fun. So people would celebrate his sacrifice for ages to come. No. He saw what was on the other side. He saw the result of that sacrifice. That you and I would be sitting in a church service, worshiping Him, living for Him, filled with His Spirit, baptized into His family. That's what He saw when He walked to the cross. He didn't want the cross. He wanted you. And the cross was the only way to get you. That was the only way to take. If we're going to serve God the way that we need to, there's only one path to take. I 
by allowing God to hammer you and hurt you and take things out of your life and put things into your life until you're ready, until you look like Him, until the dross is removed. And there's a perfect, accurate reflection of Him in us. That's God's will for all people. After salvation, Christ-likeness. And that doesn't come easy, and it's never cheap. Precious things are never cheap. That's the price. We've got to be willing to pay it. The enemy is only going to attack weakness. Therefore, whatever the enemy is attacking in our lives is a weak area for us. Use that information to allow God to soar up those areas of your life. The enemy is attacking you consistently in a specific area. Take the information and use it. This must be a weak area for me. God, deliver me. God, be strong in me. Amen. This Christian walk, this living for Jesus, is so much more, so different than when I first encountered Him. My understanding is a little bit clearer than it was in my very first service of what it means to live for God, what it means to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with my life. When I came to Him, I still had my Lutheran ideas of what it meant to serve God. Thankful for my Lutheran upbringing, I learned a lot. I learned a lot of Bible, a lot of Scripture. But I had a ways to go yet, too. The farther we go in Him, the more experiences we have in Him, the more we mature, the more we grow into Christ-likeness, the better understanding we have of what all of this means. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's certainly more than putting that, that word on a, on a hospital form, on some dog tags. It's more than that. How much more? Well, that's something I plan to spend the rest of my life finding out. God gave me everything. He laid his very life down. He laid his throne aside for the opportunity to have a relationship with me. I can't do less. In the coming weeks, months, maybe years, whatever time we have left here before Jesus comes, things I I believe with all my heart they're going to start moving pretty quick before he comes back. Things are going to move fast. I want to, one, be ready. When he starts moving, I want to be able to keep up with him. And two, I want to be the person he needs me to be. I don't want anything holding me back. 
Everything in this life is it's gone. It's gone. In a few years, Jesus is going to come back or I'm going to be planted. And it's, it's gone to me. I can't bring any of that with me. So in my mind, it, it's already gone. What I'm going to possess forever, that's what's real to me. More and more. I'm not there yet, but more and more. That's what's real to me. Less and less, this stuff here. That's what's going to carry on into eternity. My relationship with Him. What I did for Him here on earth. That's what's going to carry over. Amen. Let's continue saying yes to Jesus. Even when we don't want to. Even when it's difficult. You know, it's difficult for us because we don't have the big picture that He does. All we can see is the trial in front of us. All we can see is the hard path. If we could just get to the bend and see around the corner, we'd have a better understanding of where God's leading us. But we can't see around the corner until we get there. That's our problem. We're just going to have to trust Jesus that it's good around that corner. God already has that information. He knows where He's leading us. He knows what's what's in the path around the corner. We don't. We have to trust Jesus. We can trust Jesus because He wants the very best for you. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, You are a wondrous, glorious God. I am so thankful for you. You're so great salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us enough to correct us. You love us enough to chastise us. You love us enough to discipline us. Not just when we do wrong, but to mold us and to shape us and to train us and to equip us so that we can more effectually serve you, more effectually demonstrate you to this world. This fearful fallen place so desperately needs you. Help us to give you to them. I pray, Lord, that your name would be glorified in us. Bless the remainder of your service here today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.